The talk this evening <coughs> is on duality and conflict. In our lives, we find ourselves struggling with certain dualities that exist within ourselves and that exist in our relationship to the world with life. There are dualities that exist between our ideals and our actualities. There are dualities that exist between what we feel should be or could be and what actually is. There are dualities that exist between our expectations and the actual results we find ourselves experiencing. And where these dualities exist, it's important for each of us to be aware, to reflect upon, to investigate them as they manifest in our own lives. For inevitably, where there is duality, there is conflict. There may exist an enormous gap a duality between the person who we would like ourselves to be, the kind of person we wish to be, and the person that we actually are. We may have <clears throat> images, ideals, expectations of ourselves. Probably there are few people who are free from some of those. And we also have the conditioning, the problems, the influence of the past, a whole variety of different factors which seems to prevent us from fulfilling those ideals, from fulfilling those expectations or aspirations that we hold within of who we would like to be as a person. There are no doubt many qualities which we cherish and value as being truly significant in life. We cherish and value qualities of, of love and compassion and sensitivity and caring. We endeavor to cultivate qualities of, of equanimity, of, of openness, of giving. And yet, there's also the actuality that at times in our lives, we may find ourselves manifesting just the opposites of those qualities. We may find ourselves being, instead of loving and gi giving, we may find ourselves at times seemingly overwhelmed by tendencies to be possessive, to cling to, for greediness. We may find instead of that openness and sharing that we true value, truly value, we find ourselves at times being defensive, being closed, feeling tight within ourselves. Or instead of realizing those qualities that we truly value, we may also find that at times we simply seem to be caught within this tendency to repeat again and again the confusions and the patterns of the past, or become apathetic and indifferent. 
instead of growth and understanding and an obvious or apparent progression towards freedom in our lives, we may find that what our actuality is, is that we repeatedly get caught up in patterns, in tendencies, in conflicts which are so familiar to us and yet which are also so difficult to be free from. It does seem at times that the power of the past, the, the power of tendencies, the power of conditioning is stronger and more influential within us than the expectations, the aspirations, the ideals, and the values. Certainly, I'm sure that all of us to some degree have ideals of what our relationship should be. Certainly, it's something that's constantly fed to us through the media, through advertising, through publications, what the quality of our relationship should be. And equally, intuitively, we also have a wish, a desire to experience a particular kind of relationship. Relationships certainly where there is a, a wealth, a richness of, of love, of sensitivity, of oneness and sharing. Those ideals are often very difficult to fulfill. In the actuality of our relationships, we find insecurity, which leads us to cling. We find anxiety and fear, which leads us to be closed. And of course, the insecurity, the fears, the anxieties bring the very opposites to relationships of what we actually are seeking for. There often exists a duality between our vision of our relationship to the world and the actuality of it. Certainly we, we value and, and cherish a, a world where there will be a, an end of suffering, where there will be an end of violence, an end of aggression. Certainly we value a, a world where all beings can live free from, from fear, from exploitation. Despite those values, they become very difficult to live. They become very difficult to manifest. Because the dualities and the conflicts of those dualities haven't been resolved within ourselves, instead of fulfilling those aspirations, we find instead at times that the very things we seek to see the end of in the world we express in our own relationship to the world. It's difficult to see the end of aggression within. It's difficult to see the end of exploitation within. It's difficult to see the end of violence in its most subtle forms in terms of cherishing ill will, cherishing anger. It's difficult to see the end of that within ourselves. It also happens 
that we tend at times to get very enmeshed and caught up within our own desires, our own demands. At times our needs can seem to be so extraordinarily many. We can seem to need so very, very many things. And of course, when we do become enmeshed in those needs and those desires, we at times don't even have the space or the energy to truly be able to care for others, to truly extend ourselves in a, in a loving and compassionate way to others. Probably all of us, at different times in our lives, find ourselves struggling with some of these dualities, either inner or in our relationships, either struggling to live with them in some way or struggling to avoid them. And either the endeavor to, of trying to reconcile those dualities or trying to avoid them or pretend that they simply don't exist, there is conflict. Conflict is born of that gap between what is and what should be. Conflict is born out of a, a lack of understanding of our dualities. And conflict, of course, confusion, is perpetuated as long as those dualities within ourselves are not understood. It can seem at times that we live almost in a schizophrenic type of way in our lives, almost as if there are two separate, almost warring forces within ourselves. Certainly there, there is the, the spirit force within ourselves that seeks to nourish growth, and freedom and love. Certainly there is something within us that seeks to realize all of those things which we value as being truly significant, truly real in this world. Certainly there, there is the spirit, the consciousness within ourselves that intuitively reaches towards the fulfillment of what is real, the fulfillment of what is significant. There is something within us that reaches towards love, that reaches towards freedom. There is something within us which simply cannot let go of wishing to know a fulfillment of compassion, of care, of integrity within our lives and within ourselves. And yet there also exists within us a kind of burden of conditioning, patterns, habits, attachments, the influences of the past, which seems to prevent and stifle and somehow suffocate that spirit within us. It seems to somehow obstruct us from actually really abiding in that spirit that is reaching towards the fulfillment of what is real. Because 
because of that we find ourselves becoming enmeshed in habits. Because of that burden of the past as and as it manifests itself in the present, we find ourselves enmeshed in pettiness, in superficiality, and at times losing sight of what is actually of value, what is of true significance. Instead of the growth then of that spirit, the increasing awareness of that spirit in our lives, instead of an increased abiding in the spiritual life, we may find ourselves feeling bound to habits, to attachments, to fears. And of course there's conflict, because what is the nature of conflict but duality? What is the nature <coughs> of conflict but separation? Surely we see that when there is understanding, when there is no disharmony between what is and what should be, there's also no conflict. Surely we see that harmony in life, serenity in life, is the ability to live in accord with what is. To live in harmony with what is. And that serenity, certainly joy and peace and understanding in life, is the freedom from duality. To look at what the conflicts are that we experience that are born of dualities. How do those conflicts express themselves? Certainly there is the conflict of self-judgment, the conflict that comes from a lack of self-acceptance. And certainly that lack of self-acceptance and self-judgment arises out of that duality between who we are and our expectations of who we should be. Certainly there, there is guilt, there is anxiety, there is fear, there is resentment, there is frustration born of duality because our expectations, our aspirations seem inaccessible because we can't accept what we manifest or express in life. Certainly there is a conflict of, of striving, of competitiveness, of ambitiousness in every area of our lives that is born of frustration out of the inability to be or accept what is, and the striving for something different. Also, it's apparent that when there is conflict within ourselves, or confusion or frustration within ourselves, it's very rarely contained and hidden within ourselves. Rather, those conflicts, confusions, tend to influence every area of our lives. They influence our relationships, they influence our thoughts, they influence our directions, they influence our perceptions. And so those conflicts become magnified, reflected outwardly, and because there is conflict within the individual, there is conflict within the world. 
because the two can never be separated in their influence and their power to influence each other. No one wishes to live with those kind of conflicts. No one wishes to see the continuation of dualities within ourselves. Because the continuation of those dualities, because the continuation of those conflicts does mean an absence of peace in our lives, does mean an absence of serenity, an absence of freedom. There is, I feel, within us an intuitive recognition that there can be an end to conflict. Otherwise we wouldn't do any of this, otherwise we wouldn't be here. There is within us an intuitive recognition that there need not be a duality between our aspirations and our realities. There is an intuitive recognition that freedom, that love, is very much the natural state of our, of our consciousness. And that a life of attachment, a life of habit, a life of fear, is truly no life at all. Without that intuitive recognition, there would be no seeking. There would be no effort to look within ourselves. There would be no sense of the possibility of even ending dissatisfaction. Without that seeking for freedom within ourselves, it would be much easier just to dedicate our lives to attaining as much pleasure as possible and avoiding as much pain as possible. If there wasn't that intuitive recognition within ourselves, there also simply wouldn't be any care or concern for the quality of our own lives or the quality of the world we live in. And yet there is seeking. That intuitive recognition exists. We recognize that there is dissatisfaction. We recognize that there can be an end to dissatisfaction. can conceive, I hope, of a consciousness which is free from the marks of self-centeredness, of clinging. We can conceive, I hope, of a life that is free from attachment, that is free from aggression and exploitation. We can conceive of a Consciousness that is free from fear and insecurity, but that is open and sensitive and caring. And in that, knows a oneness in life. Hopefully we can conceive of relationships that are not characterized by possessiveness, that are not characterized by clinging but relationships where there can be sharing, where there can be a fulfillment of love. We have 
ensure that intuitive recognition and that ability to conceive of that, hopefully not just because people have told us that it is so, but surely all of us in our lives have experienced moments when we are free from clinging. Probably all of us have experienced moments where there is a taste of freedom, where we are not enmeshed in me and mine, where we are not enmeshed in attachments and clinging, where there is peace and silence. Surely all of us have experienced moments when there is a true richness of appreciation, of empathy and understanding. And experienced in that openness and sharing, a consciousness that is free from projections and demands and desires, and in that freedom, how superficiality and pettiness simply falls away, simply ceases to be. I'm sure that we all have experienced those moments. Moments also which tend to fade away. Moments which tend to be replaced by the habitual patterns and reactions of the mind. And so we seek for ways to be free from conflict. We seek for ways to bring an end to duality. We seek for answers to our questions of how is it possible to bring about the end of conflict? How is it possible to be free? How is it possible to live with love? How is it possible to fulfill our aspirations, to realize and manifest what we value as being significant? It is in seeking for those answers. It's at that point that a great deal of confusion begins. We are conditioned to think in a linear way that if we have a question, then we must seek for an answer and surely the finding of that answer will be the solution to the question. And so we seek to find answers. We put our attention on finding answers of how to resolve conflict, how to be free of dualities. And we continue to focus on those answers even though our own experience so clearly tells us that finding answers doesn't necessarily resolve the questions. And that finding answers doesn't necessarily resolve conflict. It's really not so difficult to find answers. The mind finds it incredibly easy to manufacture answers. They tend to be obviously so apparent and obvious to us. You take any conflict in your life, if there's, oh, I have attachment, well, it's, the answer's obvious, isn't it? You must let go. <laughs> I mean, 
you have suffering in your life. But the answer is obvious. There's clinging somewhere. <laughs> it's so easy to come up with those answers constantly. And yet the mind is limited. And we need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge that thought is limited, that answers don't resolve conflict. That thought simply doesn't have the power to bring about inner transformation. So often when we're looking to resolve our questions, to resolve our conflict, we find ourselves looking outside of ourselves. That somewhere, somewhere there must exist some formula or process or means to resolve conflict. That it will go A, B equals end of conflict. Often we find ourselves looking for particular paths, particular methods which promise and enter suffering. Or we may find ourselves looking to particular authorities to give us the answers to tell us how to resolve our conflicts. Because it is both, both easier and we are conditioned to think that it is right and appropriate that an authority tell us what to do. And we may find someone who says they have the answer Often the price is submission. Often submitting to that authority is at the expense of our freedom to question. And unfortunately, we often have to take a package deal. You often just can't go for one answer. You have to join. You have to belong. You have to give everything up you have to say, you're right. <laughs> we see the actuality, of, it's understandable, we see the actuality of conflict, we seek to resolve it. The mind usually responds in the way of, how on earth am I going to get rid of it? And by the number of how-to books on the market, it's fairly obvious that the limitations of thought is not universally recognized. <laughs> because there are how-to books on everything. How to win friends, how to be happy, how to influence people, how to be enlightened. One can even get a book on how to answers and koans. It's fairly obvious by the number of those books on the market and the number of sales that they make that still somewhere within us there is at least some glimmer of hope <laughs> that thought still has some power. The conflict, I feel, persists because when we begin to focus so intently on finding the answers, we stop asking the questions. We simply stop 
asking the questions and cease any more to go into those questions. And in searching for answers, of course, we can accumulate a large number of formulas and techniques and processes, solutions, things to experiment with, all of which keep the mind very absorbed and busy. And if there's one thing that we share in common, it is that the mind loves to feel occupied. It loves to be feel that it's actually coming to grips <laughs> with the problem. And so surely, if we're very involved in practicing something, doing something, have our particular rituals and disciplines, we can in some way, even if the conflicts persist, give ourselves a pat on the back because we're doing something about it. When there is conflict in our lives, there's usually a reaction. And the reaction comes in the form, well, obviously, I don't like it. If, because I don't like it, then how am I going to get rid of it? How am I going to become less angry, less uptight? How am I going to get rid of my insecurity, my anxieties? How am I going to somehow control my, my fear or my aggressiveness? We make resolutions to be a better person, not to do it anymore. We make certain compromises of a little bit is all right as long as we do a lot more of something else. We try to control. Usually, we try to modify and alter who we are and what we experience. Usually, we try and alter and modify ourselves in, some, in such a way that we will become someone different, who will have different experiences which are more attractive and more enhancing. Usually, when we see those conflicts, those problems, difficulties within ourselves, we also take on the role of being the redecorator, of changing the furniture in these rooms of mind and personality, add a bit more niceness, a bit more care, a bit more love, try and put some, some paint or some camouflage on the other things. Usually to try and reach towards or move towards an image, an identity, which we feel will be more enhancing and pleasing to ourselves and to others. Just as a redecorator will change all the attributes, the decorations, in order to make a room more pleasing. In that, there's a perpetuation of conflict, because still we are rejecting what is. We still haven't understood the source of duality. We still haven't understood the way conflict arises. We still haven't understood the process of creating conflict within ourselves. There can be no peace, no understanding, and no serenity that comes out of rejection of what is.
We need to be able, I feel, to set aside our intentions and endeavors to modify and alter. We need to go into the questions in the context of an empty house. We need to go into the questions of conflict and duality in the context of stillness and silence. Meditation is not concerned at all with finding answers or with becoming better people. Meditation is concerned with the questions. Meditation is certainly not concerned with trying to get rid of anything or to suppress anything, but is concerned with what it means to be with what is. The meditation is actually very simple, extraordinarily simple. We complicate it with our various methods, our belief systems, our striving and our endeavors. The meditation simply is watching, is being still, is being with what is. In that we are clear. We don't learn how to be clear. We don't learn clarity. Just as we don't learn understanding. We don't learn insight. Some people are under the delusion that they practice insight. I have absolutely no idea how anyone practices insight. Whether you repeat insight, 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 and <laughs> hope that insight will come at some point. No people who sat for years and run up and down their body. No every nook and cranny, inner and outer, can complete, be completely lacking in insight. I know people have a wonderfully quiet mind, not an iota of thought. This can still be a vast amount of delusion. You simply cannot practice insight. Insight is seeing, insight is understanding. If there was a practice, obviously it would simply be a question of time, and I'm sure you can talk to the long-term yogis here, been here one year, two years, they will quite clearly tell you that it is not a question of time. Otherwise they obviously still wouldn't be here, or they would feel a great deal better about who they are. We are still, when we understand what it means to see without motives, without the motive to get rid of anything, without the motive to alter anything, without the motive to gain anything. We don't learn meditation. We simply understand what it means to be still. The rest of this business that we do here you know, the structure and the form and the practices and the techniques. I mean, they have a value. It's also just to keep you here. <laughs> <laughs> to give you a feeling that you're doing something. <laughs> and hopefully if you do that long enough, you'll be still. <laughs> and understand what it means to be still. And understand simply one can drop that. It's not to, it's not to reduce it. It has its value. But I mean, if we just said to everybody, all right, everybody sit down for two weeks, we'll just be still. How many would be here today? 
I really wonder how many would be here today. Okay, we've had a week of lots of doing. We've had a week of being quite busy. We've had a week of feeling very occupied. No doubt we can also, at this point in the retreat, say congratulations to some degree. <laughs> well, you can probably sit a lot better, you can probably you know, have less thoughts, less reactions, less desires to go in the library and read, you probably have less desires to be so fascinated by the notice board. <laughs> it's a time to look and see, can we be still? Can we simply sit and be still within ourselves? Of course, there are times when conditioning arises, when patterns arise, when tendencies arise, and there's a, an appropriate and valid place for the application of method. There's an appropriate and valid place for the application of technique. But to see that technique and method exists in relationship to all of that noise within the mind. And still, and goes back again and again, to stillness, to seeing in that stillness, to understanding and feeling what that stillness actually is within ourselves. It's too easy in the busyness that takes place within our minds to get very caught up in the contents of our minds. Especially, in a, well, within ourselves we have a tendency to emphasize the negative. In the context of a retreat, what anything that's unresolved, many things that have been unconscious for long periods of our lives come to the surface. So certainly it can come to that point where one simply feels surrounded by, by monsters and skeletons. And there can also be at that point a great deal of identification with that, that this is what I am. And also it is at that point where we really begin to feel often, I must change myself, this is really terrible, this is unacceptable, I can't stand to be who I am. I must change myself and be different. But it's also at that point where things become conscious, that there is vulnerability, and there is the opportunity simply to be still, not to give emphasis then to the contents, to the various issues, to the various problems, but to give emphasis to the stillness, to sitting, to being with what is. You've had times in your lives, I'm sure, when those same things arise, so at times they have a terrible impact, one feels completely overwhelmed. At other times those things arise and they really have little power. And it's not necessarily the contents which are so powerful or less powerful, rather the quality of the consciousness that has the capacity to either hold and accommodate what arises or to react. If the consciousness is lacking in attention and steadiness, we tend to get overwhelmed by contents and then of course all by the ensuing ideas of needing to change and get rid of. If there's emphasis given simply to the stillness, the room, the space, the awareness that holds those contents, conditioning is neutralized. The issues and the contents of the mind are neutralized. 
They only have power because of a lack of stillness and awareness within ourselves. And we don't need to follow that path of trying to erase all of these things that we describe ourselves by, trying to get rid of this or that, trying to be less of this or that. We don't need to undo the past, but to give emphasis in the present to stillness. Because it's in that stillness, it's in that awareness that one ceases to be the owner of any of that, that there ceases to be identification, that there ceases to be clinging, and that all of those contents and issues of the mind cease to have any power whatsoever. And it's in that stillness that there is an end to duality. It's in that stillness that there is an end to clinging, that there is an end to identification. We don't learn it. Meditation is not to become better people, but to understand what it means to be with what is. It takes a certain amount of discipline, not the discipline of forcing or striving, because all of that only leads to to suppression, but the discipline and the commitment to be with what is, to stay with the uncomfortable, to stay with the painful, to stay with the the unpleasant, to see it as it is, to withdraw the projections, to withdraw the identification, to withdraw the clinging, to see that harmony in life is being with what is. It's not learning and answers that liberates. It's the truth that liberates. And meditation is very simply being, having the spaciousness, the openness within ourselves to see the false as false and the true as true. And is the seeing of that truth that is freeing, that is liberating. There is essentially only one step in meditation. It's the first step and the last step. It is the step of letting go. It is the step of ceasing to cling, of ceasing to identify. Because it's in that that one can actually be with what is. It's in that that there is stillness, that there is silence, that is in and through all movement and all activity. And the meditation is not a means to an end. It is both the means and the end. And we take that first step of letting go again and again and again and again. And in that stillness, the silence, the awareness, there is inner transformation. There is an end to duality and an end to conflict. May all beings be free from conflict. May all beings be free from duality. May all beings abide in freedom.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.